You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today on the Comedians Comedian Podcast, I'm talking to twins Randy and Jason Sklar, the Sklar brothers who are, I mean, I've never seen an act like it. I've seen a couple of double acts where both performers are twins. And uh, I have to say, most of them far newer than Randy and Jay, uh, who've been going for some decades. But um, we'll get into all of that. I just want to flag this up by saying they are about as far from a novelty act as you can imagine, given that your preconception might be twins performing together to be something of inherently a novelty. Uh, The way, I mean, pause this now and watch what they do on YouTube, because... They are absolutely adept at sort of encircling one another's narrative. They weave this whole act together from the two of them just just talking at the same time, doing stand-up about the same things at the same time. And they have the ability, like um, my musical knowledge fails me. I was going to say like a symphony, but maybe symphonies don't do this. Like It's like two musical melodies kind of weaving around one another and sometimes kind of refrains come back sometimes they are antagonistic sometimes they're uh talking about the same thing sometimes they're talking about a a similar but different or shades of different attitude on the same thing and then bang they can suddenly come in sync and uh and just deliver a punchline where it all just crashes together i mean I absolutely love them. I saw them do 40 minutes at Flappers in Burbank. And uh, thank you for having me to Flappers and everyone therein. And um, they really were something to behold. So I went around their house uh, the day after and uh, their house. It was one of their houses. And if I'm honest, I can't remember which one, although I can recognise who is who at a distance. Um, but my memory escapes me. All I remember about the house is that the uh, the dog that lives in that house used to belong to Roddy Bottom from Faith No More. And obviously, as far as I'm concerned, Faith No More are the only band in the world. And uh, that pretty much erased my short-term memory. That erased my RAM. So apologies, I can't tell you whose house it was. But thanks to Randy and Jay for having me over. And this is an extraordinary pair of comedians. And, And pair is right, they share DNA. I learnt loads about twins. Loads of extras available, 25 minutes of extras available at comedianscomedian.com slash extras. But to whet your appetite for those, here's Randy and Jason Sklar. 
So great job last night. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about flappers. What was the well? I'll tell you what, because the, the majority of this audience are in the UK. So tell us who you are. You've not been to the UK, so introduce yourself to Britain. So we've been to the UK to visit, and I'm sure people there are huge fans of our visits. We've done some really <laughs> some of my work is shopping in shortage. Um, <laughs> it's on your reel. I saw a guy in shortage. Not to get off track, but we're already off track. Uh, I saw a guy in a store in East Shortage, right, East London in shortage and he it literally became seeing this guy my wife and I were like went into shop and I bought like some really expensive vest that I did wear on our one of our stand-up specials so I was like I've got to get the use out of this but I was everything there was so expensive and we see this guy and I turned to my wife he was so white he was translucent and I literally said to my wife is that a ghost and she's like, I think they're hiring ghosts at this store. <laughs> and we're like, he's a hipster ghost. And that's the name of our album is Hipster Ghost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I saw you. I saw you selling this last night. So yes. That was an old bit of ours where we did a bit about how most people think that they're haunted. By, so, again, so this is very important because it goes to process. So I saw this dude and I was like, this guy's a, he's wearing like a totally ridiculous hat. He basically like... It's like Noel Fielding from Mighty Boosh, like all of the things that yeah. he's making fun of, of yeah. the people that I'm like, this guy is him, but in ghost form. So the ghost form of Noel Fielding's characters from Mighty Boosh, this is him. So I was made, I thought that was really hilarious. And we thought, okay, you know, in the people believe in ghosts and they, some people believe in the afterlife and hauntings of your house and all that stuff. You see all these shows like our house is haunted by the mm-hmm. or like people die all the time, like. God makes new people all the time if you believe in that or just people die. So everyone's going to become a ghost, I guess. Why does it have well, to be? Why have we narrowed it down to like the 1780s yeah, totally, yeah. sea captain <laughs> with right? the epaulets on his thing and the yeah, mutton chops? Like, why could, what if you had a hipster ghost? Like, sure. you know what I mean? And you were like, I house. can't imagine anything worse than a hipster ghost haunting <laughs> your house. Like, honey, <laughs> who signed us up for an adult kickball league? Hipster! Like, okay. Okay. And like he's going through your record collection, judging, judging your choices. Like, like, yeah. I bought a Hall and Oates album. I don't know why. <laughs> and he doesn't say boo like boo. He's like boo. So this this so, topic yeah. is this is an example of when what I think of is like when the planets align. Right. When you get a premise that's so strong, you go, oh, this is now gonna. We've we've done the, we've done almost like the infrastructural work of finding the thing, and now we can just riff on the thing because the thing exists. So, so people people ask us, how do you write your stuff? And that was me out in the world with my wife he wasn't even in England I was there with my family visiting her brother and we go to this store and this thing happens and I come back home and I'm like explaining to him I saw this person he's just it's crazy how do we this is funny if we think of like ghosts why are why is why do we think of ghosts as this let's explore this kind sure. of thing. we start to write it and then we put it on its feet and then we're like okay that's one part of the bit now, how do we get to the next part of the bit? Like, what's the next thing from there? Like, you saw us last night. Mm-hmm. We were talking about we're a team. So, like, you know, you can't just that. That's the other level of our of our creativity is what we say is when we a premise comes in. All right. There's nothing worse you know, than having a, a ghost. A, a ghost is bad. A hipster ghost is way worse than a regular ghost. OK. Hipster person who died and is haunting your house. So then we say to each other, okay, there's two of us, we're a team. How do we create something, whether it be an act out or interaction between the two of us that can bring that to life in a way that a single comedian cannot? 
So let's uh, deal with the obvious, which we've not already. I mean, I, I will presume, I'll presumably say this in the intro when the sure. when this goes out. But you are identical twins. Yes, we are. Which is which for us was. I mean, maybe the reason why we're not. I mean, maybe the reason why we're not as big as we should be is because we're not talented enough. But maybe the reason is, and that we have to always allow for that. But is that we've never cashed in on that. Aspect I love this. Last night, you didn't do stuff about being identical twins. I mean, you've been going a long time, so right. maybe you've been through a phase no, of that. No, no. We, we made that choice like very early on. We, so what Such happened, a good decision. So what happened to us is we came to New York in 1994. So we grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, which is like Midwest. I'm okay. trying to think of like a... Like uh, so my friend Holly used it as an example for me when trying to help me fix a joke, which I've now taken out of the set that mm-hmm. I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was trying to come up with an example of somewhere far away from right. civilization. Right. And she said St. Louis. <laughs> it's like, it's not far away from civilization. It's it's a city, but it's very provincial. It's the type of city where people stay. They've got, they've got to hide there. Like a pickup line, like high school is grade 9 through 12, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's called in England, but so... It, I swear to you, this is a pickup line in a bar in St. Louis. What high school did you go to? Sure. Because now I can make a quick snap judgment about you. Oh, yeah, right, right. You okay. went to Ledoux, you can get me cocaine or whatever the joke is. Sure. So, so for us, you know, that describes St. Louis. You kind of grow up there, you stay there, and then you die there. And we got out. We moved to New York. We went to college together, actually, at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And then we went to New York because we thought it was between New York and L.A. And we're like, let's just... Let's go to New York. There's energy. There. And, and obviously going to college together, your values have always been aligned in terms of what you want to do with your lives. Well, so we both applied to law school, you know, to appease our Jewish parents. Uh-huh. And but we but no one in our family had ever done stand up ever. And no one had ever done anything in entertainment. So there was no pathway for us to be like, hey, let's go be like Uncle Jeff. Who went out to L.A. and then followed his dream. That's really funny that you would even say that because in the U.K. that's not really a thing. But obviously it is here such that it's worth mentioning you didn't do it because over here that's a thing. There's a there's a pathway. There's a or there's any certainly there were no twins doing it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's really no pathway for, but we'll get to that later. But the, the, there was no pathway in, within our family of like, a, hey, this is what you do. You go out here for a little while, you do this, you maybe do, there was like none. Now we can tell people, look, if you want to do this, people ask us that we want to get into comedy. We're like, okay, do you have 10 years? Because it's going to take you that long to figure out if you're good enough to do it or you want to do it or you have something to say. And most people don't want that to waste that time to do as, it. As someone who has done over 10 years, I now really appreciate the deliciousness of saying, have you got 10 years? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we've been at it for 25 years so we've been at it for a long time and even the first time we stepped on stage we were 14 years old so so to go further back we were huge fans of comedy we were nerds comedy nerds in St. Louis like huge fans there was a great H- HBO young comedian special that Rodney Dangerfield hosted on HBO with Seinfeld early Seinfeld mm-hmm. Sam uh, Kinison Sam Kinison mm-hmm. Robert Townsend Robert Townsend comes on stage and speaks in a British accent for the first minute and a half and then he says, I'm from the south side of Chicago. And it is so funny. I just was like those. I'm like, wow, he's taking such a great chance there. So we learned a lot from that. And we would learn those bits and memorize them. And then our parents, friends would be over like playing cards downstairs. And they would ask us, like, how are you guys doing? And we we're probably, what, 11 14, at the time, 13. 12, 13 at the time. And we would just launch into a Seinfeld bit. Like, they didn't know because none of they're not watching comedy. We'd be like, what's the deal with the shower radio? Yeah, like, uh, something dance, you know, glass, glass, you know, slick service okay. next to the glass door. So 
we end up get laughs and we're like, oh, this is interesting. And then being twins, people were always looking at us and looking to I must say, there, there can't have been a sort of deficit of attention That's right. in your lives. So everyone wanted to know. And we were gregarious kids because our parents kind of encouraged that from us. And our dad was a funny guy, not in like a writing comedy guy, but he was the type of guy who would... He'd like, he worked really hard, middle class. He worked really hard and basically worked at like the office. He worked at a paper, paper company. company. <laughs> you really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an envelope company called okay. Tension Envelope. His job had the word tension in it. Imagine that going <laughs> to the other work. So he goes to Tension Envelope and he would take us on the weekends and whatnot. And then he would take us to run all his errands, like pick up his cleaning and, you know, at the dry cleaners and whatnot. And we would go and we'd sit in the car. You know, he'd leave the car running, basically saying to child molesters, you want these? Here's a pedophile buffet. <laughs> running cars, like they just left cars running. So we'd sit in the car and it'd be running and we'd watch him go in. And he was like a fat guy. He was a jolly dude. And he would just start talking to him. And within 30 seconds of wherever he was, people would be laughing. So with kids, you see that and you're like, hmm, that's valuable. Yeah. That's important. And then you add to the fact that, and this goes even further back. A year before we were born, our parents had a baby girl and she died, died on the day, a year to a, to the day that we were born. Oh my like, God. So they had a tremendous loss, like an actual baby in the world. Yeah. And then a year later, they get two healthy babies. The world, the universe, like it righted a wrong, a thing that I don't know if you believe in God or not. I don't know even how they felt. They were just devastated. It was 1972 and they all of a sudden they have two babies. And so they, their love for us and their, their support of us, it's kind of the opposite of a lot of comedians sure. lives, but it did, I think foster in us the belief that we could do almost anything, which is insane because you almost have to have that weird blinder on yeah. over, you know, cause sometimes when we are out here and I see all these great comedians or I go to Montreal, we see comedians, sure. like you, we see other great comics I'm like, oh, my God, there's so many talented people. What the hell were we thinking that we could even be in this? But if you put those blinders on, you're like, let's just make something funny. And then it starts to work. I, I What you have, the, the secret weapon you have is teamwork. Yeah. Yes. Jeez. I sometimes talk to like a sketch group will come on the show and they'll have a, a third member or a fourth member who never appears on stage. And you're like, oh, that's clever because you've got someone who is completely isolated from the the tension, yeah. the performative t the tension yeah. envelopes, yeah. you know, or yeah. or um, or you you see someone. I mean, there's an incredible Australian sketch group. I don't know if you know them called Auntie Donna. Yeah. Three performers, yes. a video editor, mm. and a director, yeah. and a sound guy. Like yeah. just working on, you know, a DJ kind of sound guy. And like, so what you what you've got the the show the whole deal is teamwork. You've got you're each other's wingman, you're each other's hype man. That's it. So people. So when we first came out into New York in 1996, 96 it was, and we just found this article. So we should go back. We'll yeah, sure. Let's pick up. Let's so, pick up. So we, so we, we did stand up in high school because we were fans of it. We're like, let's just go on stage. There's a high school ninth grade. We were 14 years old. There was a talent show in front of 300 people at a theater in our high school. Let's just, let's go up and do stand up. And there's a guy doing the cheese shop sketch from Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Word for word. There's that guy. Simultaneously with every college in every, with every school every, in the on. entire world so at that, that time. Yeah. And he's just like, I know Monty Python and you don't. So that makes me cooler. Sure. Right? So I have bothered learning the cheese it. shop sketch. I learned all of it. Uh, every brand of cheese. And so, uh, and we're in the back going, wait, we're going to go up with original material. 
Some original and some stolen. Some sure. we just, because you just didn't know. We just would do like lifted bits from other yeah. people and did it, which was wrong and is wrong, but we didn't know at the time. And I would say some of our original stuff got laughs. The presence was there. <laughs> we managed to murder some of the stolen stuff. That's right. <laughs> Crashed it to bits. Uh, pronounced dead on arrival. And no, but it was really good. And it actually, it, it, it told us we can do this. It, it was like, okay, we, in a weird way. So the craziest thing happened after that. Again, you're in St. Louis. There's no pathway. So we, a friend of ours in Kansas City who was in an improv group. And Kansas City is like another city like St. Louis in the Midwest. Like, but, uh, what, like 300 miles? Yeah. About five hours driving west of St. Louis. Very similar, but a little further west. So a little more open and, and progressive than St. Louis, okay. whatever. So our friend who's a year older than us was in a, like an improv group at an improv place. And he said, we just got at our club a flyer that said the Disney Channel, the infant nascence, the early stage of the Disney Channel, is doing a young, young comedian special. Everybody under the age of 16 who do stand up. Do you guys have any tape of you doing stand-up? We're like, we do. We just did it. <laughs> so we put that tape together and sent it off to L.A., sent it off to Hollywood. And it's so funny. It was, you know, just like a few miles from here. Sure. Sent it off to a production company that was formed. It was called Ruben and Core, and they were founded, and, and they were doing the show that was going to be hosted by... Do you remember the show Family Ties? Did you? Get yes, that? yes, we did. Fox. Yeah, Michael yeah. J. Fox. So was, there was a guy on the character on their name. His name uh, is Mark Price. Is his name? But he was Skippy on the show. So Skippy okay. on Family Ties. Okay, he was kind of a dumb guy on the show, but he was going to host this show, and it was just a pilot or whatever. We didn't even know what that was. We sent it off, and we're like, we're never going to hear from these people ever again. There's just no way. They call us back. I remember being in our house. This guy calls back, and they said. Uh, you know, we've looked through hundreds of tapes and we think you guys have something really interesting, really unique. Then they proceeded to give us like a ton of notes that we wouldn't figure out for decade for a decade at least. You know, what kind of thing? What sort of what do you mean? They were just like, number one, you can't steal, steal material. Number two, you need to create a relationship with each other on stage. Number three, you should try to develop longer pieces because okay i mean it was like all, all good notes all, all good ideas great. but you but, but we, and we, i think that's really important to stay with as teenagers you just didn't know what they meant our brains aren't fully formed at that point how are we supposed to take notes and a so, relationship on stage is my right? brother that's it you're 70 percent right? of your time is spent masturbating at that there's no way you can do stop masturbating there's point six it's not very you, disney channel i know that's really a great note that's more of a life note and so <laughs> they so we they're like, go up at your local comedy club and try all this stuff out. We were like, okay. We called the comedy club and they said, you can't come in here. It's 21 years. Yeah, old. right. So we called them back and we said, they said we can't come in there because we're too young. Then we were yeah. relieved. I think. We were relieved. And then they called the club and then the club called us back and they said, you're on this Tuesday. Incredible. They got us on. So we go up and we wrote a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, you're performing in front of adults. You're not performing in front of, and it all was original. And a lot of it didn't work. We maybe got a couple of laughs and we kind of got off saying that was really hard. And then we sent it off to them and never heard from them ever again. I don't think they ever made the show. Either. Okay. Okay. Well, that's what we tell but, them, the, <laughs> but there was enough of a, at one stage, someone believed in us that, that it, this is possible. Someone saw a bunch of tapes with a bunch of people. Now they're kids, but said, you, you guys, there's something interesting there. So then we go off to college and we don't... Can I just, but just to hold for one second, do you remember a bit that worked from that gig? Something that you had written that you were like, oh, hang on, that did get a laugh. So yeah. what, what did we do? We, we were doing a, a joke about 
a kids television show, um, Sesame Street. It's a very big show in America. Oh, sure. No, we do. Yeah, absolutely. You're familiar with it, right? Yeah. So our whole thing about that, which I, this was our concept back then, which I'm sure people have done, was that, you know, the show came out in the 70s, 60s, 70s. There's a lot of drugs, latent drug stuff in there. And like, you know, this guy can see a giant elephant and no one else can sure. see it. And what's he on? And we're like, today's episode is being brought to you by the letters L, S, and D. Or sure, sure, so sure, that sure. was our okay. little bit. And that got yeah. 15 year olds. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not in love with it, but like, that's one of the first bits we wrote that adults could appreciate because it yeah. was a point of reference that was larger than our in our tiny sphere of high school. Or got it. So that was a bit that got some laughs. And then we did a whole, like we did, we did, we wrote a big con- conceptual finish. Cause remember this is 1987. Okay. Okay. So back then there was like comedians would do these big, and this I love cause it was an alternative bit and that's where our tendencies lean. Yeah. Sort of alternative comedy. And it had nothing to do with being twins. Both of those bits have nothing. Sure. To do sure. Sure. It's interesting. But so there was a bit, uh, we wrote a bit about, big rap song finish so all the comedians like a lot of comedians on the road in the late set in the late 80s when the big comedy boom in america happened they were like just copy this guy and so there were a lot of facsimiles of sure 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 successful so they would do like a big rap like a rap song like a hip-hop so we said we're gonna do a big Big rap rap finish finish. and we kept teasing it we're like guys just (laughs) come out big big rap rap finish finish. (laughs) we're into rapping we are into rapping and we're gonna do a, a massive rapping finish you guys are not going to, you won't believe our rapping. We just can't around. make a big deal with this. And so then we're like, are you guys ready for the rap finish? We're going to do our rapping right now for you guys. Uh, you, we feel like you deserve it. And we reach down behind like some table we had up there. We pull up some, some presents, presents and, <laughs> just <laughs> and quietly rap like presents. That's, that's very old. That's, 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 that's a big weird. risk. It was a huge risk and it did not go well. Great. It definitely didn't get laughed. We ate shit on that one. And, and do you, with those ones, did you have like an intro, do you have any introductory gags to deal with the fact that you're twins and that's unusual? Yes, yes. We did the thing. So last night, two guys got on stage after you left Flappers sure. on the, and they were like got twins who were doing those. Will you guys watch our set? And we said, yes. And we'll, they said, will you give us honest advice afterwards? And we said, yes. Oh my God. And As they, the only people who are allowed to tell us. <laughs> so we, we told them, we're like, uh, we, I mean, it's, it's not necessary to explain what the advice was, but they did this thing that we did when we were 15 years old, which was, we get a lot of stupid questions. People ask us this. Sure, us sure, sure, sure. And, you know, like we did a little, we did a tiny little thing, but it was just to get to that other joke last night where we were talking about, which is still, this does amaze us when we walk down the street today because we're parents, we have families, we're separate people in our own communities here Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. We feel like we've grown so much from being baby twins. When you walk down the street, people lose their mind. They they lose their brain. They see you and they're like, "Oh my god!" Sure, oh sure, guys. sure. How old? You know, how old are you? We're like forty seven. Uh, do you live together? <laughs> no, we don't live together. And then that got us. We're not the Keebler elves, which are these like not elves, yeah, not elves. Okay. And then it went back to the whole wordplay thing that we gotcha. Did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Like that's actually so that elves. took us to that moment. Of the, okay, but so we don't really even talk about it. But these guys were talking about it a ton, and we used to do that. Is talk about it. here are the stupid questions. Questions are people would ask us, are you, yeah. you or your, your brother? It's a weird, it's hard to answer that question. You know, it's really a, but we didn't know how to properly craft those jokes and do that. And also 
it didn't feel good to us. We're like, sure. we're funnier than this. Well, it's not a million miles away from when you see someone do, my dad is from here and my mum is from here and here is an opening joke about what, let's smash those two concepts together. Or people come on and go, this is my appearance, let's all deal with this. It's an immature thing to do, best, right? Best people aren't growing it quick. Best version of that joke we ever saw was when we were out here doing stand-up with Andy Samberg and like this was before, oh, yeah. before he got SNL. He did the She's best version of that joke ever. He said, you guys are looking at me like Diane and Butch Samberg had a baby. <laughs> There is a brilliant one line of comic in the UK who has approached that from a thing like, I know what you're thinking. Is this the love? Ch- His name's Gary Delaney. Yeah. Is this the love child of Mr. Delaney and, and Mrs. Mrs. Delaney? Yeah, exactly. That's lovely. Totally. Great, great, construction great, great, parallel, great gag. Beautifully done. Uh, <laughs> and the answer is no, there was no love between them. Yeah. That's what we love to do is tag it. Uh, so we, um, so, so we had some of those stupid jokes, but then we kind of let it drop a little bit. Did a little stand up at college where we were in Michigan, Ann Arbor. There was a great comedy club in downtown Detroit that we would drive into. That was like forty five minutes away from our college. We did it there. We did it at school, and we started to do it more. And you were studying to be lawyers. Law, yeah, we were yeah. English English majors. Okay. English majors, so loving the writing and the creative process mm-hmm. of reading and writing great authors and yeah, that, uh, like you write a paper. If you're writing a paper on Ernest Hemingway, it's a comedy bit. Your premise is your thesis. Yeah. And then you follow it up with examples. That's what a paper, that's what an English paper is. Oh, God, I wish I'd realized that. I could have been better <laughs> at school. You work. Been great at school. If, I'd known, if I'd have known when I was a kid that I will remember a joke for the rest of my life, but a fact will go out of my head, I just turn all my notes into jokes. Yeah. Do my chemistry homework, write your jokes about it. It would be so there good. forever. Your premises are so good. good. <laughs> you'd, great, you'd, make great, you'd be a good writer. You'd, you'd do well in English. I mean, that's really what it's really, it's like, what's your take on this? So it taught us, and, and it was a great university with really amazing professors. So it, that held your feet to the fire. It taught you, take a stand, have a take. Yes. Really follow it up and dig in. And it, it should be a take that isn't a basic take that everybody could have. Yeah. You should have your own individual take. Why is this yours? So those sharpening skills helped us when we're writing bits, which we didn't even know. It like contributed without us knowing. So we got into law school, both of us. We were going to go to graduate separate. law school in separate cities. He was going to go to Atlanta in, at Emory University. I was going to go to George Washington in Washington, D.C. And we said, we can't. We just can't right now. We got to go try and do stand up. And we saw a friend of ours, Andy Kindler, who's a fantastic. Uh, I know Kindler's been on the show. Love it. Yeah. The best of the best of the best. And he came to Michigan. We said, we, we said what these twins said to us last night. We said, we watch our set and just tell us what you think about it. Cause we opened for him and we brought him and paid him. And you know, it was yeah, like, yeah. he said, you guys are so funny. You guys are very funny. The stuff you're doing on stage, if you you need to move to either New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. and then get into a scene and get rid of all of your material, you'll get rid of all your material. But you're funny enough that in three years you guys will be on TV. I have no question in my mind. But he so he started out with a your material sucks. Yeah. And then he said, but I think you guys are funny and I think you can do it. And that's all we needed. We it's like it. a shit sandwich, but it's an open sandwich. Right. Yeah. Open so just just two layers. So our so our we called our parents that night and we're like, we're not going to law school. We're going to defer our acceptance for a year, which was a safe enough bet, which in our sure. parents, we're like, we're never going. And so we uh, and so we moved to New York and tried to just do it. It was crazy. Well, we were lucky. This is a moment where we were lucky yeah, to be there at this point in time. Have you ever read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've bought it and flicked through it. Like, I'm not going to say I've read the whole thing. So it is, it's a great, 
book about sometimes explain the phenomenon of just sometimes you're just in the right spot at the right time. It talks about Bill Gates. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all these other guys. What do they have in common? They were all Mm -hmm. like around the same age and they all at 1969 to 70 all had access to computers at universities. universities. So like all these things aligned for them. Sure, sure, sure. That's kind of what happened to us. We moved to New York in the 90s and what was happening was in the 80s what we were talking about there was a huge comedy boom in America. Huge. There was comedy on cable boomed. So you had all these channels and then all these comedy shows on channels. And so it's almost like expansion. Sports. Like if they added teams to the Premier League. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's say they went from 20 teams that are there to 25 teams. They took the five teams from the championship, championship okay. and move them up. The level of play on the whole would go down. Yeah, because the, you're just bringing up players that aren't as good, and it's not as good, and the product's not as good, and people will start not coming. Because so like, now, so now you go out to America. There's now three clubs in like a tiny town in Iowa. Sure, and you're like that. That town doesn't even need one. Now you got three. Yeah. So now you got people who are used to being feature acts, middle guys, mm-hmm. third women who have thirty minutes. You got to go headline now. You got to go do an hour. So an yeah. hour of half of their stuff is fine, and then half of their stuff is awful, and people come to it, and they're like. Comedy sucks. Yeah, this yeah, because an incredibly large proportion of the audience at any given show are there for the first time. That's right. That's one of the most mind blowing things to me. The amount of times people go, oh, "I've never been to a show yeah, before." Exactly. Like, How does the industry exist? Yes, and you're like, "It's been going on without you." Amazingly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. It's like when, when my wife drives, and I'm like, "You got to go this way." She's like, "How do I do it without you?" Like, <laughs> you don't. Uh, and so I just, you know, so it was like it was a huge boom, and then there was a backlash. A backlash of people who were smart and great comedians on the coast, predominantly in L.A. and in New York. Janine Garofalo, David uh, Cross, David Cross, Mark Marin, got need need. So those guys were like, "Hang on a second, we comedy. Not all comedy is that. We need to differentiate what we're doing." And so they started a show in New York. Uh, called Eat It, Eating It. It was at the Rebar and then it moved down to Luna Lounge. And this is right when we were there. It got started off. We saw it move from one. The first first week they put it up on its feet. It was a, you you know, we're used to going into comedy clubs where it's like, this is how the setup, this is the only way you can watch comedy is like this. There were no mics. There were no open mics. There were no alternative rooms. There was just this. No theaters were putting on comedy. It was just in the clubs. But then in 94, 95, they started this room. It was a a U-shaped, Couches, couches in the mm-hmm. shape of a U, and like in the back of a bar, mm-hmm. and I don't know, like sixty people there, not even thirty people there. But Michael Ian Black, uh, Jeff Ross, Mark Cohen, who played Sarah Silverman's dad on on her show, okay. uh, Marin Silverman. So I mean, Sarah Liz Winstead like got up and told like a crazy story where she cried. Then. Like Kindler, Kindler was hilarious. He was in town, and so he's like, "Yeah, come see the show." So we did, and then this crazy bit happened where people, someone came from out of the audience, and they got into a fight, and we're like, "Is this real?" But it was John Benjamin who's in the <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. yeah, and they did this crazy bit where you're like, you thought it was not real, and then they switch places, and then he was out in the audience. And the audience uh, okay, okay. It, just, it blew our minds with like it basically said, "Oh, comedy doesn't have to be this narrow thing. It can be like the walls got blown out of this." box that we yes. watch this and we're like oh this is what we want to do because the most important thing about this is that if you ever went to the area of comedy that anybody expected you to go to the audience would not give it up you failed sure. and bombed miserably yeah. so it forced you to be funny uh-huh. above all else so if we went up and did all of our twin jokes or this or that 
you never make it there. So immediately right off the bat, we're like, we have to write something that is funny and outside of who weird. we are. Weird. And so I remember the first bit we did on that show, on the on that show that we, uh, someone we knew like worked for the people who were booking and they had a fallout like day of and they call and she called us. She's like, do you have something? Can you pop up on the show? And they were like, you know, 250 people in the room. This is when it moved down to Little Lounge. And then out into the bar behind the room, people would just peek to try and see what was going on. I mean, it was the hottest, craziest room. And our opening bit, do you remember what it was? It's only three minutes. We, three did, minutes we did our impression of a writer's room at the Benny Hill show. <laughs> <laughs> Very solid foundational yeah. premise. <laughs> and we just and we kept going for so long about why this is the most brilliant thing in the world. And he's old and he's, he's gotta get more boobs in it. Get more tits. Can we get an old bald guy who from an aerial shot his head looks like a tit? Yeah, get him in there. on him and that and it's just nonstop of And we'll just have people running in like regular pace. No, 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 no. Speed it up, speed it up. That's way funnier. It's funnier. And we just kept kept going, going. What about the comedy? Don't worry about the comedy. More tits, more tits. And it's just like, it was, and we got up there and it was great. And that feeling of, okay, this is what we need to do now. This is exactly. And and presumably then and throughout, right up until last night, you, I don't mean like, and it ends now. But but you get to continually yes and each other. That's the best Like that, you're building this, this, you're balancing the deck of cards. You're doing it together. So, so, the, so in 96, he was saying. So so we were luckily there at that moment. When that was his polite way of saying moving along. Yeah. So not at all. Not at all. So we were there at that moment in New York. You like walked in, you arrived just as the hottest room ground is exploding. Floor, oh. floor, and we got a chance to get in. So that was the luck of, that was the Malcolm Gladwellian. We were just there at the right time. Outliers, we just lucked out in that. And it allowed us to, it changed the way we could do write the stuff that we did. It like, oh, we don't have to do twin jokes. Like we did, we did a fake improv bit that we did one time where we came up and like, well, it was it was, it was so silly. It was like I came on stage and Rain's on stage. We're like, we're doing this bit, and you know, Rain's gonna leave, and I'll take suggestions of someone to be, and then you know, and then I'll act like that person. We'll see if we can guess it. Right? Okay. So well, that's the premise, and then Randy goes out of the room, and then when he's out of the room, I'm like, uh, all right, before we take suggestions, just want to say. Like, don't go super easy on him, but, like, let's pick someone that he can maybe get because he's had a rough day. His girlfriend just broke up with him today. And, like, you know, like, let's, he's doing a good job of showing that he's not down. But yeah. he's, he's having a hard time, and I love him. He did not want to come here. I was like, just go. It'll make you feel better to come. So I'm like, so we'll t- I'll take a suggestion. I could be anyone, living, dead, famous, whatever, anyone. And then uh, our buddy who was a plant in the audience was like, Susan Cavacab. And I'm like, they don't. These people don't know who Susan Cavacab is. Like Susan Cavacab, you said first suggestion. That's improv. You're not doing improv. I'm like, Dude, I'm like now I have to explain who Susan Cavacab is, and they're like, and he's like, explain it, and I'm like, all right, Susan Cavacab is the woman who broke up with my brother. Today. And, so, and that's not cool. Like you're, you know him, and you're being an asshole. And so it became this whole bit. And they're like, you, you said improv. <laughs> so then it was like holding you, like making fun of improv, like how the rules are so strict. Oh, God. So then he comes back in and I'm like trying to be him. And like guy in the audience is like, you're not doing it. So, and then I get into a very real mean fight with him on Where stage. He just airs all the dirty and he's laundry like, of this. Oh, you, Susan. I'm like, Susan. <laughs> and the crowd goes, nuts. that. And just to write that bit and do that bit, and not that it was like the most groundbreaking bit, but it, it told us, like, oh my God, we can do 
anything up here. You yes. don't have to come up and be like, I'm the smart one. I'm the dumb one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have to do the Smothers Brothers 2.0. We can do whatever we want to do. We can do sketches. We so can that was why there was no there was no pathway for twins. That there, A lot of people said, one of you should be this and one of you should be the other. Sure. People said to us on the way up and we're like, but that doesn't feel right. Yes. And that feels really constricting. We're like part of the experience of watching twins or to uh, two-man comedy i got we got this film mm-hmm. we watch like the stand-up sort of parts of the mighty boosh and like mm-hmm. shows like that where you're just like yeah well, i, I want to be in on that fun what yes yeah because what they do is they you can feel them challenging each other to keep improvising so that is that's why when we watch that show our friend i mean we're friends with rich fulcher we knew him beforehand yep. but and so like when we saw him on the show i was like oh this is amazing but we saw them do it specifically just that I'm going to put a move on you. Put a move <laughs> on you first. But like, so we saw them do that in front of the, in front of the curtain. curtain. And this is much later and we've been established and whatever, but we saw that and we're like, this is, we understand this. Yeah. We understand this deeply. This is exactly what we do. This is, we, we actually understood in watching them and loving them. We understood why people would like us and like what we do. We were just like, oh, I get it now. So instantly I was like, okay, I know this is wrong, but like we have to be friends with these guys. Like we got to find them out in some way, shape, or form. We got to find them and know them. And I don't know how this world will come together where we can do that. So I saw actually a friend of, we saw Noel Fielding, a friend of ours got Okay. Friends. We saw him here. I just met him real briefly and I didn't really, I mean, I think he knew who we were a little sure, bit, sure. but I just didn't want to like, we was after his show at the yeah. theater here. I didn't want to go over the thing, but I was like, we got to talk to him somehow. We got to like, yes, that's crazy. But that was how much we loved it is we just, you get all like single white female about it. You're like, I want to consume that, these that, people. I, it reminds me, there's one particular one where he says, um, in, in the TV show, he said, uh, what's your name? I have many names. What are they? You know, that <laughs> yeah, kind of exactly. thing of just keep, all keep pressing, you know, do, keep going. My it's, my wife says this to me sometimes. Like, I, if I'm if I'm playfully riffing with her in a kind of way that's probably pretty tedious, right. she likes to sort of take revenge by like, you know, if I'll say a thing, she'll go do five more, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's Love really her. good. It's that's great. <laughs> so this is the Sklar brothers. What a joy. What I mean, you could probably tell just from the nature of the interview how in sync they are. But my God, they really had... You've got to see them live because it's just this incredible cascade of jokes and different types of jokes and styles of jokes. It, it's just and delivered in... Stereo is wrong because it, it doesn't always match and it would be far less uh, good if it always matched. But I look... You can hear how smitten I am with what they do. I just think they're absolutely brilliant. So as you can tell, I'm obviously very much enamoured of them. Uh, we'll get back to this interview in just a second. And by the end of this, if you need more, there is 25 minutes of extras available, uh, including how Randy and Jay approach roast battles, why they love tagging jokes and the TV pitch that it inspired. They've got a TV pitch that's based around uh, tagging, which is a brilliant idea. And we also find out which twin is the happiest. There's a spin on a ComCom class. We also get a bit of an insight into their episode of the NPR podcast, This American Life, uh, in which, not in which, they kind of, they went to uh, NPR with this story, but the story is resolved. We get a sense of the story and it's resolved in their episode of This American Life. Um, I don't want to say too much because I want you to download and listen to this episode, but it is about a genuinely mind-blowing possibility about their very identities as twins and as people. 
Really incredible. So all of the extras available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Thanks to all those of you who've been joining recently. Apologies, there has been a slight uh, issue with the sign-up process. I believe that's all resolved now. And uh, everybody who... Basically, people would sign up, uh, get a error screen, and then sign up again. And bless you, one of you signed up four times to try and get through. We have now refunded all of that money. <laughs> so apologies. It's all cooking now. And uh, just thank you to all of you who, when faced with an error message, thought, no, no, I will try again and again. So uh, that's all good. Um, thanks to everyone that's been joining up recently. And listen, before we go back in, I just have two shows left on the tour. Farnham, there's a handful of tickets left for Farnham and that will have gone, uh, that show will have happened by the time you hear this episode. So let's assume that was a crowning glory in the same way that Glasgow was. More on that in the post-amble. And finally, the tour will conclude on the 28th of February in Cambridge at the Cambridge Junction. Uh, we have half filled the big room. So by all means, get on board. Should I say half filled? No, leave it in, goddammit, because the pressure to self-promote is always antagonistic with the pressure to be honest. And uh, I think there is no shame in having half sold the big room. But it would be great to completely sell it out. It would be so nice to conclude the tour. I don't think I'm going to tour next year. It's time for a bit of a break. So I think... This is going to be the last big tour show for a while and I would just love it to be full. So if you're in or near Cambridge, go to the Cambridge Junction website or there is a link there from comedianscomedian.com slash tour. Let's get back to Randy and Jason Sklar. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What you saw last night is there's like lots of prepared stuff, but yep. also in the great form of keeping something alive. So the last bit, you the golf swing bit that we yeah. did is, you know, it's two men talking, having a dumb conversation uh, and while they're air golfing, which is just like taking up space and forcing us to listen to it. It was terrible. And we said, this is women, you know, they, why don't women do this? You know, like, and it saddened us because we, that's all we want to see now. And we became these two women at a drop off at an elementary school, like just just like doing also talking about their stuff. And so for us, then it becomes how mundane, of a conversation can we have and how long can we push it? How long can we do it? How long are we going to do it? And then I'm going to be this woman and she's going to be that woman. And I'm going to have done this too, a little too much. And suddenly now you're becoming these characters and becoming these people. And that's loose enough that we can surprise each other in moments. And sometimes we're laughing at each other. Are you laughing at me? And as we're swinging and 
whatever happens, happens, and it allows you to be wide open. And we feel like that sometimes is when we are at our best, when you just don't know where it's going to go, but we kind of know where it's going to go, but you don't know how you're going to get it. Yeah. 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 And can you recreate that kind of energy when you're sitting writing a script or does that only come on stage? So when writing a script, I mean, it depends who you're writing it for. I mean, if you're writing a script that is, uh, it depends, are you doing it for Amazon? (laughs) Are you doing it for a network? I mean, sometimes the restrictions that get put on you, as I'm sure you know, from people who are like, you can't, well, you know, you got to make sure that everybody's likable and you got to make sure that this, and I'm like, well, that's not as funny. And that you, sometimes you feel constricted, but we like to improvise all of our dialogue. So if we're writing we improvise the scene as the way it would be. Okay. And, and what does that look like? So you improvise it and then do you record it or you just improvise it and then go, oh, that was good. We've got a bit there. And then we have type crazy it. memories. We have really, really oh, strong memories and that's just lucky. I don't know why we have it. And there's two of us. So you have like a backup drive and the two of us can just <laughs> between the two of us remember what we just did. And if it makes us, but laugh. it is amazing because when you think about, the fact that there was not, a, there were no twins. This is maybe the thing I'm the most proud of, and it will not bring my family no money, and it won't put yeah. my, not put my kids through. That is, that is our other favorite thing we say about being a comedy team. The best part, this is true. The best part about being a comedy team is that we get to share the money. Yeah. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I've been in I've been in several double acts, and everything is better apart from the money. Yeah, uh, of apart course. From the money. Yes. Yeah. So we so, but I do think that there was no tw- there were no twins telling you this is the way to go, and now. I feel like we forged a path and I'm proudest of that. I feel like we showed this is what you can do. It's a different thing. I mean, when, you know, double acts do their thing and what we're doing is even different from that in a weird sort of a way, yeah. like creating its own language of how to do it in this way. Those, those twins approaches last night, it was crazy. That's great. That's great. It's wonderful. It was the so, are there, there's obviously loads that is synchronous and loads that is uh, compatible about your minds and the way you approach comedy. So uh, what are the elements of your working or creative relationship which are not completely in step? Are there any things that create friction mm-hmm. between you? Yes, question. I would say that because of my family, the ages of my kids and my life and my family dynamic, I don't get to work as much outside of the rel- the specific a lot of times that we have to work as he does and as you know this is like the what, you, what, what are the difference in ages i don't know uh, so. i have a five-year-old i okay. have almost a six and, a, and an 11 year old my kids are younger they oh, gotcha. require okay. more it's not as easy they don't stay up as late it's just more of an ordeal the nighttime is like a second job sure of like dealing with these little people and putting them to sleep and it's like it's just a lot more work and so he knew he knows because he lived through it but when he was living through it, my kids were still kind of little. So it never really like the last like 11 years of my life has been a lot. It's been more on him. And his wife was a stand up comic and my wife was not. So okay. she understands the universe and the, and you know, it's so hard to explain to someone who's not a comedian, mm-hmm. like the value and the honor that it is to be asked to be a part of something, even if it's not going to give you immediate financial mm-hmm. gain. Mm-hmm. You have to be, you have to kind of understand it a little bit. You have to have an idea that like, look, this is a big deal that we got asked to be a part of this thing. And yes, I know it's the fourth night that we've been out this week doing Mm -hmm. stuff, but like, so we try to stack our shows on one night and we try and do that kind of stuff. But sometimes opportunities come up that I have to, we just did Amy Mann's Christmas show at Largo with Ted Leo, Amy Mann, Paul F. Tompkins, a handful of other really talented, amazing people. Uh, and two shows a night, two shows a night, three nights in a row. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot when you say to your, hey, 
to my wife, even two who understands, Hey, you got to make dinner. You got to make their lunches for tomorrow. You got to put them down to sleep because I'm going to, I have a one year old and a four year old and I'm in LA. Yeah. Do you mean like I go completely? That's so hard. And also comedy is the weird thing about comedy is it's, it's, it's an optical illusion in our minds on a lot of levels. Number one, the better you get at it, the more it makes regular people feel like they can do it because you make it look super easy. I explain to people, you see that step that goes up to the stage? It looks like two tiny steps. That <laughs> step is about it's like 20 years. Yeah, it's like Everest. If you're like in the death zone. Yeah, there are like South African climbers who are just, yeah. you can see their legs on the side of that thing because it's just, the corpse is littered from like that. Yeah. Those two steps. Looks like it's easy. You can get up there, but you can't. It's really, it's crazy. Right. So that's the one illusion. The second illusion to the outsider, to the spouse, or to the person who's not allowed is that it's fun. And yeah, we had a lot of fun hanging out last night with you. Yep. We, we loved hanging with you. We loved having you with Alex Edelman. We loved hanging with our friends who came and did the show. That was all part of it. But like, it's still work. Mm-hmm. You still have to go and prepare. We still were like, we still saw that show. Even though it's a Sunday night in Burbank around the holidays, we're like, man, more people should have been there. Yeah. And we sell out on the road and we sure, out the road. sure. We're like, LA is a difficult draw for various reasons. And our podcast tends to draw more and even on a more expensive ticket mm-hmm. at a different venue. But we're like, I wish it was. So that stresses on your brain yeah. in a certain way. You're like, yeah, we should sell that out. You but know? it is, you're out. Maybe have a drink after the show. You're hanging with friends. Mm-hmm. It's social. Like the social part of it is, and it's fulfilling. It is definitely fulfilling. You stand on stage. To me, it's fulfilling to do that set in front of you and have you understand what we do. Yeah. Like yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And then for us to watch you, because we had just seen your set. Sure. So we knew about you, but hadn't seen your material and knew you were going to go on Conan, which is a phenomenal thing. And then saw your set and we're like, this guy's fantastic. We got a pitch for you. We pitched you a joke. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> made us feel good. And yeah. then we went up and our friends were great. Our friends had said, Alex came by. He did a set, which yep. was hilarious. It like got us to do our other joke that we would never do. But yeah. the context of his joke was really great. The uh, free solo joke. and then Oh, he's free. That was exactly the bit. I mean, it's, it's funny when you get someone who's clearly got a standout bit. Like I saw him do half an hour at the improv two nights ago. And he came off and I was like, a free solo bit. He's like, yeah. And being Alex, he was like, I know. (laughs) And then we, you know, but then we did our thing and it was just fulfilling. But at the same time, it's work. And at the same time, it's, you know, you just dished off some responsibility on somebody else. And that, that that tends to take its toll. That's hard. So a lot of it, a lot more of it goes on my shoulders in terms of like logistical stuff. Yeah. But I, I think creatively we are on the same page and we do, I think our, this is why we've been able to keep, doing it for so long together to continue to do it for 30 plus years and not ever be like, man, we can't do this anymore is because we, number one, we're never going to like break up and never see each other again. We Mm -hmm. believe in our family. It goes back to the moment that I told you about at the beginning about our parents losing a child a year before we were born. Our parents taught us like, this is special. Like this is a gift like this, Mm. not even now that you're not supposed to be here, but like there's that feeling of like, your family is so important to you. Yeah. You got to get through whatever you have between each other, get it out and then get over it. That's you have to, or else the things that would stop a normal team, you know, like, cause it's tiny. I see it like, you know, tiny arguments move to resentments yeah. and they get put on the back burner for a mm-hmm. while. It's like, and it's like part of some other thing that happens. And like, you know, he knows I'm doing my best and I try to fill in wherever I can. And we both, you know, we just know that we need each other 
to, and we need to do whatever we can to make this work because number one, we love it. Number two, we feel like we're doing something that no one's ever done before. And at least within our world and we're proud of it. We're like, this is the thing that we've been, you know, building for decades. It's special to us. Do you argue? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We've argued vehemently for certain things that we think is like, I think this is really funny. And he's like, no, it's not. It doesn't happen all the time because our we are pretty in this in a similar area. But I would argue that if you gave if you wrote down or said, here's all the bits that I have in my new hour, I would probably say 90 percent of it. I'd be like, I love it. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not that crazy, but. There are moments where I'm like, this is funny. And he's like, it's not. I'm like, well, then let's try it out. Let's see. And then we do it. And he's like, you didn't give it enough effort. (laughs) 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 You didn't give it enough effort to make it work. It's like more important to be right than it is for the bit to work. Yeah. But I mean, that's, so that happens from time to time. And that's a good structure as well. Like, let's not argue. Let's, okay, put that on the list of stuff we're going to try. That's healthy. That's kind of robust as a process. There's a phrase in, in basketball in the NBA. It was made popular by Rasheed Wallace. He was a basketball player who played for Detroit for many years. Uh, very outspoken guy would like get thrown out of games all the time. Get all he was very fast. mouthy and whatnot. And uh, he would do a thing where like if if someone called, a, if a ref called a foul on him, said that he fouled some guy and then he didn't think he did it and that guy would go to the free throw line and shoot one of his free throws. If he would miss, he would yell, Rasheed yells, would, would yell out, ball don't lie. I should not be called that foul, but you shot, you missed, ball don't lie. So we apply ball don't lie to this, to our standup. We're like, all right, put the joke out there. Mm-hmm. Ball don't lie. But also, like it. But also like, we have funny. to be smart about it because, because we are learning. We are learning. We learn something. So you go up when you work at the comedy store, and as the comedy store has changed, because we started working at the comedy store in 99, it was a dark fucking place. I mean, it was. Dice, oh. Dice, Andrew Dice Clay, and all of like ew, people hanging around him. I mean, we we wrote, like we got disrespected by Andrew Dice Clay on stage in the mid two thousands, two thousand four, two thousand five. It was so we were so thrown by it because now you know our attitude towards comedy. We're sure. like, this is a community. Like we don't know you, and we've done TV and done stuff. We've had our own shows. Not that you should be disrespectful to anyone, but don't treat us like someone who's never done anything before. He was so disrespectful. We brought him on stage, or no, he brought us on stage. Right. So at the comedy store, there's no host; it's tag team. So you bring up the next act. So he had been on for so long, and this is all part of the bit. We explain it. He had been on for so long that like people, he was like an hour into his 15 minute set, and he just kept going and going and going, and then walked half the room, and you know. He was just terrible. But then he said, you know, who's next? Because, of course, he forgot. It was, like, told to him in a different decade when he started doing this show, the set. <laughs> and, you know, they say us. And he's like, who? Who? I don't know who these fucking guys are. And he just starts going on and on about how we're going to suck compared to him. And, like, which, by the way, fine if that's your guy and you're just taking the piss out of him. You're just doing whatever you do. And it's your best friend. And that's mm-hmm. a joke. between. Mm-hmm. But, like, well, I don't know this guy. We went on stage a, year, a month before that, and Arsenio Hall brought us on stage. Never met the guy, and he gave us the greatest intro ever. Felt like sure. we were on the Arsenio Hall show. This guy, just as bit, so he was so disrespectful. And so we got on stage, and we just couldn't leave it alone. And it was, we told the story to a friend of ours, and it bothered us so much that the bit that we then wrote about it afterwards was, what if he's still doing the nursery rhymes, which made yeah, him yeah, famous, yeah. but instead of doing his sort of jokes... 
he just would set up the nursery rhyme and then reveal a sad truth about his life. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> right, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water, and it's been three years since I had a meaningful conversation with my daughter. <laughs> so we we fucking did that on Comedy Central. Like, that closed our special. That is that like, was our, yeah, our second half hour That was special. our, like, Leonard Skinner, Neil Young. Yeah. <laughs> get around here anymore. Like, uh, you know, Southern Man. That was just, like, that was the comedy store in the, in the mid-aughts. It was, like, this terrible. So now, though, it's insane. Like, the, the people they're booking, like, you'd go into the main room, and it'll be, you know, Joe Rogan and Bill Burr and Chris D'Elia and Sebastian Maniscalco, mm. and then Neil Brennan and you. Mm-hmm. And like no ho- no host, so nothing to buttress what the audience just. And it's just uh, Sebastian Maniscalco. He he just sold out Madison, Madison Square yeah, yeah, yeah. four nights, and yeah. you're going to see him for 15 minutes right here. And the crowd is like, they're going up. Great comedians, great people, and then you, and then you come up, and you just have to match that in some way, or you have to erase what was there. Yeah. So we were down in. We were doing a great show in downtown LA. This they show Crane's Comedy once a month downstairs in a bar. Great. Just great atmosphere, really good audience. And we tried a bunch of stuff out, and it was fantastic. And we're like, oh, shit, we got to go up to the comedy store and do the set in the main room right now. We follow David Spade, Chris D'Elia, Sebastian, and then we come on stage, and we thinking we would just do that set that we did there in the, in the main room. And we do the comedy store every week. And we came up, and it just hit a wall and fell down. I felt like we were running underwater. It was so Just like no traction. <laughs> no when we got off stage, we were so mad. We're like, what? How could we have been doing comedy this long? Time? Like, name another job that you've been doing for 30 years and you walk off stage going, I can't do it. We're not oh doing my this. God. I can't, like, because no when it goes dentist. wrong, it stops existing. Right. It's not the thing anymore. No dentist like makes a mistake with a molar and is like, fuck, I can't be a dentist anymore. <laughs> like nobody says that. So we're just literally walking on stage questioning, but it forces to write the bit that we did at the top of the show. I don't know if you saw that where we are asking, like we just asked the audience like, all right. Like we, so we sat down and we said, we need a palate cleansing bit. Yeah. We need this thing that we need to do that erases everything that was seen before us. Yes. That it's an energy bit. It's, we can make it alternative. Mm-hmm. So, so we're like, what can we play with this notion of comedians who come on stage and be like, where are my dudes at? Where yeah, are yeah, my yeah, dudes okay. at? And like get the dudes to cheer, and they're like, "Where are my ladies at? Ladies, you gonna let the dudes take you on?" And like get the ladies against the dudes, and be like, "Dudes, you just got me too. What's going on?" Like make it like make it all about that. So I sort of make fun of that comedian, and then can we take then it? Can into we take it in an alternative space? Where are my dudes? Where are my bros? You just recently went on a camping trip with their best bro. So specific. <laughs> yes, no, that gets quiet, and we're like, and it got cold outside. Usually gets loud. <laughs> you guys climbing the same sleeping bag for warmth. For warmth. Was, was for warmth. <laughs> That's what we told people is that it was for warmth. But then you looked into his eyes and it gets so quiet. This is the highest energy bit. You looked into his eyes and you were like, I'd let him put the tip in. Where are you at? <laughs> and thank you for being here. And then, you know, just all that stuff. So for us, it became this thing. That's 30 years into comedy. And we're like, wait, we need something like this. It took us till now to learn that we have to do this. And every yeah. single time it wipes away what was just yeah. there and it's just we're like I can't believe it took us this long to figure this yeah. out yeah which also is why you're like we gotta keep doing it because people say are you guys ever gonna not do it together mm-hmm. and we're like we are still learning mm-hmm. we're still learning things that we need to do and still getting better and feel like there's still more cards to play if we ever got to the point where we're like we're sick of this we don't have to do it yeah we'll stop but right now it doesn't feel that way 
I like asking this of successful acts. Why aren't you more successful? We think about that a lot. Uh, I think it's, you know, in some ways, I think it is because we kind of threw the oars out of the boat and paddled with our hands upstream against what is the easy, obvious choice, which is to create very wildly different polar opposite characters. Sure. Like when I, when I first saw you, I saw you on stage at the roast battle. Mm-hmm. And I, looking back, I can kind of appreciate now a sort of a subconscious thought I had at the time, which is like, I sort of felt like, who are these guys? Because right. I can't tell what the relationship is. And obviously that's what you leverage and what yeah. works for you brilliantly yeah. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a kind of in a marketing way, just like as seen from the outside. Yeah. Oh, they're twins. But you kind of think as a viewer who doesn't know your stuff, you just see the picture and you're like, they're twins. Do you know what I mean? You don't really know what it is. It's yeah. not like your Penn and Teller. It's not like one's big, one's little. Or, one's, or one seems smart and one seems dumb. One of us wears a bowler hat in the right. phone. You know, yeah, yeah right. The other yeah, one's a mess. I mean, you're not going to get it from the poster. Sure. You go and see what it is. But it's for us, we say, we. So, so it's like, then it becomes a question of who are you creating comedy for? Like, in our minds, there are two types of comedians. There are comedians who are trying to get the most laughs, and there are comedians who are trying to be the funniest comedians they can be. Now, you hope those two things meet each other at some point. You hope that in the Venn diagram that is comedy, you're living in the spot that's both of those things. But that doesn't always happen. And so, for us, we said, we don't want to be, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say John Mayer but like yeah I don't know if John Mayer would listen to John Mayer music but he certainly knows how to make it and he's sure. unbelievable at it sure. and it's great I think that's why he plays with the dead now because it gives him a chance to just do something completely different yeah, and okay. I've seen him and he just has a blast doing it so know? we say to ourselves well would we rather create something that we wouldn't necessarily love but be you know, have a ton of money and maybe a, you know, long running show and all that stuff. Or would we like to create something that would have respect of our comedy peers, mm-hmm. something that we ourselves, if we didn't know us, we would like. Respect is a very easy thing to like, I can tell like the nanny who takes care of our kids. I'm just going to write respect on a check. Are you cool? The- yeah. <laughs> she loves that. Yeah. So respect doesn't mean much, but you know, it, it means, means a lot. To it us. means everything and also yeah. nothing. And, so. and I, there is a question there as well. Would you be able to, let's not say sell out, but to do that more mainstream thing, is there any longevity? Because if you're doing a thing that doesn't inspire you, then, you know, if it doesn't really set fire to you, then what's the point? I mean, there are people, I think the people who end up doing that made that decision or maybe they didn't even make that decision because maybe they weren't aware that that was a decision to be made. You just did what you did. You do what you do and And it does feel, it feels like a hollow victory. So this would feel like whatever we get and whatever shows we've gotten and whatever things we've gotten when we have gotten there, we've been so proud of them. And if anybody approaches us anywhere and says, I love you guys on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say because we've luckily done a lot of things. You know that everything you've done, you're proud of and that's, yeah. So we're not going to be like, oh, you saw that I'm sure. so sorry or that really wasn't who we, like, I don't want to have that conversation with someone like, that's not who we are we yeah. pushed into a situation and I'm walking down the stairs like that post-Edwardian uh, that's, that's not who we want to be and so when people do approach us and it does happen we're always like that's great I love that you love that that's you know, you love this show that we did on ESPN. Great. That we, that was like our heart. You're saying that you love us because that's yeah. just us goofing around and being who we are. And that what you're saying is you buy into the thing that we held so precious as opposed to something where like, yeah, that was just a money job. What's the biggest lesson in comedy, whether it's a life lesson or a lesson 
about comedy or creativity? Just, you always have to be open to exploring things that happen to you in your life and just always be open to explore it. And usually the times where you're the most emotional about things that happen to you in life are make for the best stories, make for the best material. So you have to be ready to open yourself up to stuff that happens. Like if it happens to you and you're very emotional about it, there is something in there. It's tapping into some human condition that other people can relate to. And if you can make it funny, that's how you deal with it. That's how we deal with it. And so I'm just like, always be open, be an open receptor for everything. If I'm in a fight with my daughter and she's a teenager, like, okay, all right, let's get on the other side of this fight. Let's get into an area that I would never fight with other people about. And like, let's figure out what it's really about and what are we fighting about and why am I fighting with her in the first place? And what just all those things now here that that's where we're going to sort of keep the receptors open and allow the allow life to happen. Jay, do five more. I would say I would say it's that you Every time you think you should have done something by now in this business or had your own show or your own whatever, like take the moment when you think you deserve something and add 10 years. That's what I would say. Things happen. I think we prematurely think we're done too early. And I think we, we tend to think. I think we spent a lot of time in our career going like, well, why don't we have that? Or why we should have done this by now, or we should have gotten this by now. It doesn't work like that. It's you, you're thinking in a linear way and it's a, a nonlinear universe that we, we've stepped into. It's we want to control things by putting them on a timeline because we can't deal with the lack of control. At least that's me. And so I think one of the things that we've learned is like, just don't be like, Hey, by the time I'm 35, I want to have a show on such and such. Or I want to do this. There is no by the time you're anything. It's like it should be by the time you come up with the thing that's right. Then that's when it's going to happen. There's no, you can't predict it. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. So that's the Sklar Brothers. What a joy. What an absolute joy. Just very warm and happy memories of hanging out with them. Do check out their work online wherever you can find it. Uh, you can get hold of Hipster Ghost online in all the usual places where you can get hold of things, Spotify and so forth. And um, and that's that. Thanks so much. Thanks to Roddy Bottom for uh, surrendering his dog and uh, letting me meet it. Whoa, touched by greatness there. Uh, me, not the dog. So, um... That's that. Thank you to everyone involved. Thanks, Nathan Wood, for editing producing the show. Thank you to Rob Smouten for the excellent music uh, on this episode. Thanks to Jake Crossland for the logging. And thank you to P- Peter Dobbing, podcast consultant. I stammer on the name because although he's the podcast consultant, he's in Bali at the minute and I choke on the very idea. So that is that. Uh, postamble coming your way. I just twang. Oh. I'm twanging a button. That reveals that I am recording in the van. <laughs> I have a Mazda Bongo camper van. And if the family are being too joyful and celebratory, I occasionally sneak out and hide in the van, which if you have a Mazda Bongo, and this is the one which is called Shaniqua because I bought it from Rob Rouse. That's a niche joke for you. Um, but the inside of it, it's like a sort of grey 80s camper van with kind of grey carpet up the walls. So it's a bit like sitting inside Megatron if that means anything to you. Anyway, the point is I've just twanged the um, uh, the locking mechanism on the Boutros's car seat. So after the post-amble, I vow I'll remember to just ensure that everything is still ship-shape with that. Right, that's your lot. Uh, post-amble coming up, 
and uh, who's who's coming up next? Who shall we have? Matt winning? Uh, shall we have... Did you like the Ninia Benjamin one? God, it was great. Go back and listen to that if you've not. Um, who else is in the can? Ishan Akbar and... Uh, ooh, ooh, a biggie coming soon. And then, God, some... Oh, some, some... A potential... Yeah, I don't know. Keep quiet, keep quiet. I think if you're in the Facebook group, uh, hopefully within the next week, you will get a real... Like, not in terms of, like, uh, profile even necessarily, just in terms of one of the people who can lay claim to being a thing. I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to hex it. Right. Get on the Facebook group. You will find out about stuff. And and here's a thing as well. Just let's... I'll do this in the postamble, but I'm going to... Um, I've been... So many people have emailed... Let's do the post-amble now, OK? Bye for now. Still here? Great. So, so many people have emailed in the last couple of weeks or something, and it's been, I don't know what, a phase of the moon, um, where loads of people have been getting in touch to tell me how the podcast has uh, kind of inspired them in some way or been part of some sort of process that they've kind of done a thing that they're really proud of. So I did a little shout-out in the ConCom Facebook group um, for similar stories, and um, here are some similar stories. I might try and format this and kind of do one of these a week because so many people have been in touch recently saying wonderful things about how the podcast has helped them thrive in some way creatively. Stuart got in touch. This is not me. That would be a very Tyler Durden. But um, uh, Stuart said, I've been meaning to email for ages. I just can't say enough good things about your podcast. It rekindled my interest in comedy and got me going to live gigs again. I'd forgotten how much I loved it, how much I love the scene itself and all the wild variety of personalities and fizzy minds that inhabit it. All of the above has also had the completely unexpected effect of making me start performing stand-up myself. I did my first open mic on a work trip to New York last year to almost complete silence. That's my boy. Apart from, at one point, a noise of actual pity from one audience member. This is where it gets really good. That's the, the lurch, right? We're doing David Mamet. No, but yes, but no. Here goes. He continues. I was totally unprepared for my reaction, which was that I came off stage thinking, oh my God, I love that, and I want to do it again as soon as possible. I've done six mics to date. That's what they call them in the States. Six, and have since had the lovely experience of getting some laughs, ad-libbing, doing... Let's stress that differently. Of getting some laughs, ad-libbing, doing crowd work and so on. I could never have predicted I would do this. It's been a real gift to my life, honestly. Thank you for your service, Stuart Blackwood. Well, thank you, Stuart. That's um, really amazing to hear. And um, welcome to the team. If <laughs> you've done six, you're in the gang. Um, so thank you very much, Stuart. I've got a bunch of others as well. I just wanted to read one from the um, uh, from the uh, the Facebook group. Louise says, I absolutely would not be doing comedy without your podcast. I used to listen while cleaning my bathroom and it made me realise it was absolutely possible, nay necessary, to do comedy badly. <laughs> this, this, is, this is the real stuff here. Um, this gave me the courage I needed to take those first shaky steps. I mean, 25 years after it first occurred to me that that's what I wanted to do. Although I don't listen every week religiously, every time I do, there's a perfectly timed gobbit of wisdom that feels like it's been put there for me personally just when I need it. Thank you, Louise, um, and thank you for the phrase "a perfectly timed gobbit of wisdom," which might become a thing or the name of this bit or something. Um, and uh, listen, if you're on the Facebook group, keep them coming. We'll keep that thread up for a while. I just this isn't in a sort of self-aggrandizing look how great the show is kind of way. I just want people, more and more people, who listen to this. Let's not say people. Let's address the listener personally. I just want you, if you're listening to this, to recognize that 
to recognise your possibilities. I don't know why I want that. Um, I don't benefit from it unless in some sort of intangible way. Um, but I, I just think that's good, right? Every time I get such a jolt, every time someone emails me or gets in touch and says, do you know what? Oh, because of the show, it made me realise, I mean, as Louise put it, I could do comedy badly, <laughs> you know? I'm not saying this isn't an effort to get more bad comedians out there, but it is just awareness that the thing is just the thing and everyone's bad to begin with. And maybe there's something in you. I don't want to ruin your lives. You know, think long and hard, but not that long or not that hard. This is there for everyone. And if you'll permit me a little street performing memory, there are two types of people on the street, exemplified by my dear friend Dave, the great Dave. There's a fabulous uh, Covent Garden type busking name. And great Dave uh, always used to... I don't know if... I can't quote him, but this is the impression I got. He was one of the real champions of liberty on the pitch back in the early days of Covent Garden and at the Edinburgh Festival. Not the early days, my early days. Um, There's two ways of looking at it. This is the Olympics, right? And this is the best pitch in the world, whichever pitch you're on. So this is only for people who can really do it. And Dave would always say, no, it's for everyone. The street is for everybody. This is, it's not the Olympics. It's, It's life. It's the street. It's for everyone. And that's how I feel about comedy. I remember being so impressed by that. That formed kind of part of, you know, you feel a click when you add something to your amorphous core beliefs. I was like, yeah, I agree with that. I feel the same about stand-up. It's not just uh, an artefact to be admired. It's a tool to be employed. So please, if you are someone who through this podcast has found a better way to wield your tool, I'll grow up, um, then please uh, let me know because it makes me feel good. I'll read it. And then maybe you, you, the listener right now listening, will think, hang on a minute, I could do one. Because you can. You can do one. All right? That'll do. Bye for now. Get your tickets for Cambridge Junction. Come on, let's sell it out. That would be so great.